Welcome back to the Sportsbeat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, Key Beat reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week by CJ Moore. CJ, how's your week going? Jesse, it's going well. It is. Uh, seems like it went by quickly because I spent the first half of it at the lake. So uh, just kind of getting into the swing of the week, and then it's over. Yeah, this is a weird week when the the holiday is a Tuesday. You know, I came back on Wednesday and it seemed like it was Monday and then it kind of seemed like it was the weekend you know it's it's one of those weird weeks that got split up but uh good time on the lake did you some what did you do boating fishing what what was going on there some uh boating went to my pop's house and uh he lives down at the lake of the Ozarks and just had nice relaxing five days with the boys chasing them around shot off some fireworks it was it was good times how about you Jesse uh, I had a tooth removed, so um, oh, yeah. So that's my, a blast. Yeah, no, I mean, I've I've just had a great week. Um, it also kind of makes you feel. You know, we've talked about events in your life where you start to feel older. I'm just thinking, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20, 15, 16, 17, never ever does it cross your mind that you might ever have to have a tooth removed because of so you know it, problems. Is it all like one in uh, one in front? Like are you gonna be pulling a Cole Aldridge? I think you should show up to games with that tooth out. Uh, well, yeah, well, and actually, uh, you know, you really can't do anything with it as far as implants go for four to six months. You've got to let the uh, gum heal. But, no, it's toward the back, uh, three from uh. the back. So it's kind of like in that horrible range where, like, you can't get a bunch of attention for it for looking goofy like Cole. But it's also going to be <laughs> noticeable when you smile. So, uh, yeah, I kind of get the best of both worlds with that. But <laughs> the good news is is that I have much better drugs now that they pulled that tooth and that I'm feeling much better. So, um, if there's any positive from that experience, it's that. But yeah, it's it's been a memorable week for sure. Ugh, that's that just sounds awful. Yeah. yeah I, I don't. Okay. I don't suggest let's it. Talk, but I just let's say, talk basketball. D- d- kids floss and brush. Apparently, Jesse did not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man. It's uh, my dentist said I had great teeth when I called him and told him that I was in agony and that there was something growing at the top of my gum line. So um, it's uh, crazy stuff. But yeah, we'll get on to KU basketball talk. Ask for some Twitter questions. Obviously, we're in the middle of the uh, the off season here, so relying on you guys and you guys came through. Got some. Facebook and Twitter uh, things out there. I wanted to let's start with this one, CJ. We're just going to make this a whole mailbag issue, and I figured this one is the perfect one you just for, perfect one for you to start out with, and the perfect question for you. It's from the Mac Moore on Twitter, which oh, is geez. is Svee's NBA stock going to recover? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is well, is Svee's NBA stock going to recover? Yeah, there you go. Uh, I mean, did it take a hit recently? Would well, you say? Well, we've talked about this. You know, he basically made it known that if if any team would take him in the two rounds of the NBA draft, that he would go. And I think the feedback he got was just basically that no, none of these teams had any guarantee that they were going to take him. So you still see him in the first round of next year's uh, Draft Express mock mock draft, and you still see him in the first rounds of a lot of other ones out there. So I mean, I think it's a legitimate question: Can his stock recover? Because a couple months ago, he was not a draftable player. And looking into the future, they still see him as maybe a guy that could go in the first round. So, uh, yeah. and, and he has a, an unknown role at Kansas as well. So, I guess, what do you think about Svi and his potential NBA stock? Uh, it's going to be a weaker draft, so so that is helping him. And as the biggest Svizis believer out there, maybe one of them, <laughs> I, I don't think he's a first-round pick. Yeah, okay. you know, I, I realize the, the mocks have him there. I don't think he ends up as a first-rounder. I do think... He's got a decent shot at getting drafted next year, and I think he just needs to come back, show another year that he 
is a consistent outside shooter and then maybe just show a little bit more to his game. He needs to defend better because, you know, he, he want, he'll, he'll be wanting to sell himself as kind of a 3 and D wing type. Like, so obviously he needs to defend better. He had a really down year defensively. Um, I thought he was a better defender than he showed this past year. So that was disappointing. And then also be able to just kind of show a little bit more off the bounce. And as we've talked about already, I, I think he's going to get more of opportunity to maybe – showcase some some skills off the bounce showcase some some skills in the the pick and roll ball screen type action just because there's those opportunities out there as far as how the roster is put together i I think there's a possibility it's not guaranteed but i think there's a possibility he has more of a ball handling role and and that if he can show that off which he's shown when he plays overseas he's, he's shown a lot of that i think his his Doc will improve. Yeah, I wrote about this earlier this week, CJ, talking about who is KU's backup point guard. It is kind of fascinating when you go down the guards on the list, the guards besides Devontae Graham, and who potentially could play point guard if you needed him to. And, you know, I actually think Svi is kind of in the middle of that pack. You know, you look at LeGerald Vick and Sam Cunliffe. Those seem like the two that just are not, no, are, are not, not candidates at all. Yeah. And then so you look at uh, Malik Newman, who seems like a candidate. He's the shortest of the guys. He played some point guard in Mississippi State. You know, Bill Self continually says, you know, he can be kind of a secondary ball handler or a backup point guard, but that's not what he does. That's not his, his, the strength of his skill set. So basically saying he can do it, but that's not going to help himself or the team out if he has to do it extensively. And then you look at Marcus Garrett, who's a six foot five guard. He played point guard in high school. He's listed as a point guard in a lot of the recruiting rankings, but. Uh, again, is a six foot five point guard really a, a point guard for you? And I kind of went back in history. Who's the tallest point guard that Bill Self has had? You probably look back at six foot four Elijah Johnson, and it's a very similar situation, which I wrote about earlier this offseason, and that he was kind of forced into that role because KU had no other options. It might be a thing for him too. But I agree with you on Svee. You know, Svee is six foot eight, and he hasn't shown an ability to, to play make for others. But yet, there is that part of his game where there's that hey, if you get him in a ball screen situation, he can either you know shoot the three over the top, he's a pretty good shooter off the dribble, or he's made some good passes on, on pick and rolls, that sort of thing. So you know, you could see an emergency type of scenario, or maybe even if if they see some things in practices, you could see a scenario where Sue McKayluk at six foot eight becomes more of a ball handling guard for Kansas. I mean, that that's a, a definitely possible. But it, when you're looking at the potential point guards, it does kind of make you think and make your brain wander. Like, what will KU go to, and what would Bill Self go to? Like, God forbid. Uh, for them that if Devontae Graham went down with injury. And, again, Sue McKayluk might be part of an emergency, emergency solution if something like that went down. Yeah, I, I think, you know, looking, I read that article you wrote, and I, I think looking, I think the three realistic candidates for that spot would be, Svee would be one of them. I, I could see them going to him a little bit and, you know, a pinch and because he's capable of bringing the ball up and you know you don't always need a guy that's just going to go and create you just got to get a guy to get you in your offense sometimes and I think he's a good enough ball handler to do that and I look at Malik Newman as kind of an Elijah Johnson type not saying their games are identical but but similar in that they're they're better off as the secondary ball handler kind of a a little bit of point guard in them but not much and you know uh, more combo guard types, but but who can play? Who can steal you some minutes at point guard? I, I think you know. Looking back, those teams would have been better off if Elijah Johnson could have continued to play at the at the two spot. And I think um, you know, in a perfect world back then, Nadir Tharp would have been able to to run the point, and Elijah would have been able to to, to play the two. So 
yeah, it's it's a it's a tough spot for KU if if something happens to to Graham and I think Garrett's you know you say he's six five and KU's never played a a a guy at that position that tall but at the same time they've never had a guy with maybe that particular skill set and um, you know I'm not comparing him to Lonzo Ball but Lonzo Ball's six six. I mean, with, if if Lonzo Ball had gone to KU, I'm pretty sure they would have they would have run him out there at the point. So yeah, well, yeah, I know <laughs> absolutely. Well, again, it's just it's it's not that it can't happen. It's just against recent history, you know. And and the example I use in the piece, as you read, was Wayne Selden. You know, the Wayne Selden for three years there was these whispers and talks, and they'd get yeah, brought up. He hey, couldn't really he, handle it that well, and he, he couldn't handle that well. But that's what I'm saying. Like like even when it gets brought up with certain guys that are taller, it just doesn't normally happen. That doesn't mean a guy can't come in. Like that, but something interesting also to talk about is Marcus Garrett. When Bill Self was talking about you know potentially playing small ball this year and how they might go with that, you know he said that you know who are the tallest guys left available, and I think he went with the two men- names he mentioned were LeGerald Vick and Marcus Garrett. So you know you're talking about a guy who potentially could play the small ball four in KU's lineup, maybe being the the backup point guard. So I mean again, versatility is part of Marcus Garrett's game. It's why he was ranked so highly. It's why coaches liked him all those sorts of things but it is kind of unsettled what he is at this point and, and knowing exactly what K you can get out of him because it's a lot to ask for the same guy to say hey you want you want him to be the backup point guard also to say hey you want him to be a small ball four you know those are two very distinct and separate roles but again if, if Marcus Garrett's able to handle one or both of those well then then his value at Kansas will be uh, will be very well received because KU kind of is in a weird position where they don't have a true natural small ball four and they don't have a true natural backup point guard so if he fills in one or both of those roles that could be pretty uh pretty helpful for KU coming up this next season all right let's get to another one from Kyle on here at at STLKU pops of jacks he says which team would you well, like that's a, that's a big name yeah that's well <laughs> that's why you need to give him a follow what team would you like KU to schedule for non-con for the trip to a historic arena or just a couple big games who don't a couple big names who don't meet often. So, any thoughts? Uh, just a perfect non-con Good question for Kyle. No, I do I like, like that one. I like that one. Um, I, I would think near the top of my list would probably be it'd be cool to see them do a home and home with Duke. Um, and then I think Butler would be another Ooh, place yeah. that, that would be really cool. Um, I've had the I've never had the chance to watch a game at Hinkle, but I've gotten to play there in, in one of the Final Four games. That was probably one of my favorite Final Four media games. Being able to play it at Hinkle, it's a it's a it's a cool spot. Um, they still have like the same floor. There's like tons of dead spots all over. It's kind of weird. And um, I think those might be near the top of too, too top for me villanova would be cool if they would play at the on field campus. house and then, and then go yeah. back and play at the palestra mm-hmm. uh the palestra is on my on my bucket list as, as places to go so i mean i'm kind of looking at this from like a media guy standpoint you know where, where would media guys like to, to go watch games but i think those those would be some some cool places yeah and, and good and good program good quality programs another another one that people might not think of that would be kind of cool is uh to schedule a game with with creighton a, a program that's kind of um you know become a top 25 team most years and omaha um you know is a very drivable place for ku fans and Man, that, that that's one of the more underrated home courts in, in college basketball. They fill that place up, seats a lot of people. Um, that that and that might be a cool home and home. Yeah, and I think this is a good question because you know 
where I would like to see them play and maybe what's realistic is is two different things. I think Bill Self has been on record. He has been on record to say that the number one place he would love to play is at Duke. Now, the Champions Classic gets in the way of that because once every three mm-hmm. years. And then just some logistics get in the way of that. You know, it's hard to schedule a home-and-home with Duke when you already ha- are playing, you know, Kentucky most every other year in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And then you've also got the Champions Classic. It's like, you know, h- how can you do this scheduling to make this sort of thing work? Um, you know, I'm going to get rocks thrown at me. But, you know, in terms of just games and having them happen and atmospheres, all that stuff, I mean, KU Missouri would have to, have to be well, yeah, one I mean, of the top be, ones. Like, the top. Yeah, it, it would have, cool. I mean, it, it, obviously. It, you know, I, I know fans have their feelings on that and how it would be, but no one can deny that that game, whichever place it would be played at again, would be absolutely crazy amazing especially if Missouri is relevant again especially well and they should be this year you know with all the changes that they've made with you know Conzo and then also uh, bringing in Porter and all those sorts of things so and and on on those same lines again I don't think these sorts of games are realistic but KU playing at Wichita State I'm telling you that would be that would be sweet too that would be a sweet sweet game now again all the caveats go with it. KU doesn't have to play these teams I understand that doesn't make money playing these teams I get all that but but just from a few pure entertainment value like that would be a great game great atmosphere to be at and the other one other one that comes to mind for me which is this one's kind of off the map and and wouldn't again would not benefit KU in any way but there's that crazy Grand Canyon you know where they have the the (laughs) nutso student section and they go crazy all game and scream and kind of have that program built up you know KU always plays that road game uh tries to go on the west coast right before Christmas so they can fly back where they wanted to go you know scheduling that game at Grand Canyon that might be kind of a a cool thing to do and you could you could definitely tell that those fans would uh, roll out the red carpet for Kansas and make it uh, one of those absolutely insane atmospheres that nobody would forget. I got one more. Arizona will be. There were some fun KU Arizona games back in the day. That, that'd be another fun one, I, I think, because yeah, you know, those programs are always. Both programs obviously are always near the top of the country. Um, that'd be another been, fun one. I've actually been to a KU Arizona game in Arizona. Uh, it was either 09 or 2010 with Cole Aldrich, and KU just absolutely got drubbed. I guess I could look it up real quick, but. Uh, yeah, it would be fun if the two teams were competitive and, and pretty close. And but that game, I mean, they just KU, KU got stomped by Arizona. It was not a game at any point in that one. I'm looking up really quickly here. 2010 was not it, so probably 2000. Probably 2009. Yeah, 2009, just December 23rd. It's that same game I was talking about where KU goes to the West Coast and then flies home to their families. 84-67. If I remember right, though, KU was not even that close in that game. I think they made a second half comeback to to even get it that close. So, yeah, a good question from Kyle there and an interesting thought. And, again, those are mostly on entertainment value and what would happen and what kind of uh, reception KU would get if they went to those particular places. From TD Dairy on here, uh, at TD One Tribe KU, uh, is the big role for Mitch Lightfoot more summer propaganda or is he actually ready? Um, any thoughts on that, CJ? I can give you some of my thoughts because I've been at these, you know, these scrimmages and around the team a little bit this summer, so I can kind of tell you how Mitch Lightfoot has looked so far. Why don't you start it out, Jesse? You, you give me something here to uh, to react off of. Well, <laughs> I, he was the leading scorer in the second KU camp game, and so he looked good in that regard. He has extended mm-hmm. his range to the three-point line uh, and made a lot of threes in those games, and so he's also, you know, there's been some talk about him being this was the crazy stat that he actually threw out there, which is he is the most experienced big man coming back for KU this section. <laughs> and it's true. That is true. It that is, is it true. Is absolutely true. So I, I think the hope was for him to kind of come back as one of those guys that could show 
uh, the younger guys in the program and the Jack Whitmans, you know, hey, this is how it's done. This is what you're doing in this scenario. This is what you do in that scenario. But, you know, to be honest, in some of the workouts I've watched, Bill Self has been frustrated with him because there have been times – you know, some of the defensive principles that he asked for, Mitch Lightfoot wasn't following through on or, or you know, setting a screen a certain way. He wasn't doing it the correct way. And I, I could tell Bill Self was getting upset just because, like, hey, if Mitch isn't doing it the right way, you know, you're not going to get it done the right way from anybody else in the rotation because, uh, you know, those guys have been out there less than he has. You know, maybe Udoka just because he's been around the program, but he's still, you know, pretty new to, to KU and the game in general. So, I don't think maybe he's as far along in that aspect as Bill Self would hope. You know, he's not hes not Landon Lucas yet. He's not the guy that you know absolutely will do the right thing in the right spot and set the right screen at the right time, all those sorts of things. But it seems to me like he's developed his game. He's gotten bigger, uh, a little bit bigger. hes He's been able to extend his shooting range outside, which can help. But I'm not sure the question is whether he is ready. I think the question is... Again, with KU's rotation, they only have nine guys they can play in the first semester, ten guys they can play in the second semester, and if KU's going to the three-out, two-in look, okay, you're starting Udoka, you're probably starting Billy Preston, and then your guys off the bench are Jack Whitman and Mitch Lightfoot. If KU's committed to playing that way, then Mitch Lightfoot is going to play. I mean, it doesn't really matter if he's ready or not, so I guess for KU's sake and for Bill Self's sake, they have to hope that he's ready for a bigger step up in minutes because if not, then they're going to have to kind of figure out things on the fly like they did a year ago. Yeah, I think there's so many wings that I think one big man off the bench is definitely going to get plenty of playing time, maybe two, but but you could see scenarios where, as we've talked about over and over again, where they play you know, some of these wings on the four for, for little stretches away some, some minutes from one of the big men. So, you know, I look at it as it's it's between him and, and Whitman as, as that first big man off the bench. One yep. of those guys going to get decent playing time. The other is probably going to be more spot minutes so we'll see i mean it's 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 so early now and and i haven't had the chance to get up there this summer and, and watch those guys so i kind of be speaking out of turn but he, he showed enough promise as a freshman and and you could kind of see little glimpses of, of skill where and i think he's going to have a chance to to have you know some some real pt down the line and and this year because of the limited scholarships would, would be a great opportunity because you look a year a year from now it might be a little more crowded up front because of the lawsons yeah absolutely and you know you, we can look at the scat, stat line but it's just so tough with a guy like that because the minutes are so limited um you know he was a decent shooter in there from two point range you know eight for 15 made two of his three threes but if you remember last year he was just awful on the free throw line and to the point where you know KU couldn't really have him in any clutch time situations two for 12 uh, on free throws but you know you go down well, that's probably nerves too oh, nerves and not playing and and and, and that has something you kind of have to look at with Mitch is just that the guy tries hard i mean you know he we grew up in Kansas you can tell that you can tell that he's doing everything in his power to try to give himself a chance but again yeah he he sometimes has the try too hards and i've never seen bill self say to a guy calm down more than he did on the sideline to, to Mitch Lightfoot last year but you know a good offensive rebounder if you look at the numbers not a great defensive rebounder that's exactly what you expect from a guy with that body type uh, can give you some energy had had some blocks so maybe there's something there but you know fouled a bunch too so that's gonna be a big question with KU's front line is just fouls you know Udoka and Mitch Lightfoot both have been proven themselves to be foul prone 
Um, you know, Billy Preston, you have no idea. And then Jack Whitman, you really don't have much of an idea how he's going to compete at the Big 12 level. But, again, you, you run through fouls and that quick enough, then you're going to force yourself into a four-guard look with one of those guys playing small ball. And we don't know who the perfect fit is for that yet. We assume LeGerald Vick. But, you know, that again, that's something to be determined and something that will be looked at a lot, I'm sure, coming up on this exhibition tour in Italy in the next two or three weeks. I guess it's the end of, uh, end of July, early August, which is coming up. I know we've got a couple questions about that, too, so let's get to those. Let me pull it up real quickly. Uh, here, quickly. Uh, hey, at, from HeyJ, at PayHeat underscore 08, what will Italian lineups look like since the transfers are eligible? I think that's a good question, and um, I can go start real quickly on the CJ. I've been on two of these tours with Kansas uh, over the years. I went to one in Canada the two times ago in Canada and then went to the one uh, in Europe five years ago now it was. Uh, and it's funny because Bill Self will say on before going over, oh, it's just an exhibition, it's no big deal, don't know who these teams are, you know, just going to try to get better over there. But once the ball's thrown in the air, <laughs> you know, Bill Self becomes his competitive self, starts yelling at officials that he wants to win those games over there, that sort of thing, until the last game of the Europe trip where he basically just wanted to rest his guys throughout the scrubs and they took a, you know, a 20 or 30 point loss in that one. But you know, you kind of have two trains of thoughts with this. Um, for one, he's going to try to win the games just because that's the competitive person he is. But for two, I think he has a lot of questions about this year's team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the inkling I would think you would have is to give those guys a majority of the minutes because you can always figure out KJ and Diedrich Lawson in January, February, March, and then you know June, July, and August of the next year. What you need to figure out now is how this 9-10 to 10 man rotation is going to shape up when you only have 9-10 to 10 scholarship players uh, looking at the specific semester you're looking at. So my guess would be, again, barring foul trouble, barring they have to play these other guys, my guess is that Charlie Moore and the Lawsons are going on this trip. They'll play a little bit, but not nearly not as much as the guys are going to make a difference this year because those are the answers you need more immediately, especially when you're looking at a trip like this trying to help you out for the immediate future for a team that has so many newcomers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because the – if you want to field the best team, then you're absolutely going to play the Lawsons and Charlie Moore. Yes. But but I'm with you. I, th- I think he's going to look at it more as, okay, let's figure out some rotations and how these guys play together against legit competition for this upcoming year. And, and I could see maybe one game where he sets aside, okay, this game I'm going to really put the Lawsons and Charlie Moore in the rotation, get, yep. let them play a big role, and – let that, that kind of be their game but for all the others maybe maybe you know focus on this upcoming year team could I, I could see something like that playing out but 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 who knows it'll be interesting to uh to kind of hear his perspective on on how he's planning to play it out going in and then how it actually plays out yeah again there are many roads you can go but that might be a good way to do it maybe you pick a, a random game you say okay game three is when those guys are going to get their minutes you give your regulars because again you don't want to just completely run these guys into the ground and there's injury risk as well I mean you have a 10 guy 10 scholarship players right now to work with I mean it would be pretty bad if you got one of those guys injured over in some exhibition games before the season started so yeah it'll be we'll see how Bill Self works this out and, and how he plays it out but I, I would assume something like that exactly what you said CJ if, if you're going to get those guys extended minutes you kind of do it in one particular game you're not going to play Diedrich and KJ Lawson 30 minutes each in these exhibition games when you're trying to prepare yourself for the 2017-2018 season and you still have a lot of question marks and mysteries when it comes to those players uh, that are coming up for this next season 
uh, from Dallas on Facebook. He says, which KU basketball player do you think has the chance to be the next Perry Ellis or Frank Mason as far as impact on the team and to the fan base, or is there currently one on the team right now? Thoughts on that, CJ? Well, that's difficult because you have to try to find a guy that you think is going to be around for, for four years. And there, there's not many of those um, Does, those guys out there. Well, let, let me ask. Let me ask. I mean, Devonte Graham is is obviously one this upcoming year, and I think he he already has a pretty special place in, in a lot of guys in a lot of KU fans' hearts. Go go ahead, Jesse, and I'll finish my thought. No, that's exactly what I was going to ask. Is Devont, does Devonte Graham qualify? Uh, possibly if if they have a really really long run this year and and he has a really good season, I, I think that's that's a possibility. I think he I'm not sure if he'll get to that status. But he, he he's right there. The uh, but the guy kind of looking long term. You know you can't rule out a Udoka Azubuki. I've I've said already before how I, I think he'll be in college longer than than people think because he's kind of a funny fit in today's NBA. So he could be one that turns into that. Um, and and another guy that that I I I one guy I know absolutely nothing about really in terms of his game and having the chance to watch him so far but who as far as recruiting goes and where he was ranked is Marcus Garrett is is a guy that those type of guys who are ranked kind of in that range KU has some success with and and I could see Marcus Garrett maybe turning into to, to one of those really successful stories and and a, a love Jayhawk who's around for a while um, just kind of based off where he was in recruiting ranking and, and KU's past success with those kinds of guys. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And the only thing about Marcus Garrett that might be a little bit different than maybe Devontae Graham or Frank Mason. You know, Frank Mason wasn't ranked as high, but when we talked about that size, that six foot five guard and having that versatility, he might be a fit to, to leave before four years a little bit better than other guys are. I mean, we just don't know at this point. We don't know what Marcus Garrett, early. Yeah, what yeah. Marcus Garrett is or what he might be. But sometimes those guys that K has gotten in that forty ish range, the limitation has been a physical limitation, and it seems like that won't be the case with Marcus Garrett. But you know, still way too early to to know. Uh, again, yeah, Devonta Graham could be it, but I, I don't know. It's I wrote about this earlier in the offseason, and it kind of relates to this question that we had here as well. Let me pull it up really quickly. Um, it was, yeah, Marcus Ramirez here on tw- on Twitter. Uh, he says, any thoughts on the quality of opponents in Italy, which I'll go really quickly. It could be anything <laughs> from these exhibition tours I've been to. Or, I mean, some teams can barely tie their shoes. Other teams, they pull out like pro players, NBA players, and KU is completely overmatched. Um, in Canada, it's a little bit tougher to, to get good teams. At least it was, you know, that 12 years ago because, you know, Canada basketball is a little bit behind in that country. But it really could be anything. And so you don't know what to expect once you get there. But he actually got some good competition in Switzerland last year and played a close game. And then, like I said, one of those French teams completely stomped him in one of those games because they had some real pros on that team. But you just don't know with that. But he says, is Devontae Graham ready to lead this team since he could defer to Frank and Landon last year? And... You know, he definitely deferred to Frank. I don't think he deferred to Landon unless we're talking about leadership abilities. I think Devontae's kind of been an under-the-radar leader for K the last sure. couple of years because he's kind of been an emotional leader. And you heard Bill Self over the last two or three years say this team has no personality. You know, kind of the Perry Ellis team, you know, saying nobody will grab a guy by the jersey or scream out loud. And I think when K started to take off, part of that was because Devontae Graham just showed a little bit of that. You know, he kind of shuffled down the sideline when he made a three or he waved his arms to the crowd to get him going and just showed a little bit of personality that the team didn't otherwise have. But 
like I said, I wrote about this a couple weeks ago. It's a weird fit for Devontae because everybody's kind of assuming, okay, this is his year to take over. This is his year to score a bunch of points. Yet now he is basically the only point guard on a team that has a bunch of guys that need to be able to shoot the ball, need to have somebody create for them. And so while he could be the leader, he might also still be a guy that defers a little bit and tries to get Svi Mikhailuk and Malik Newman and Gerald Vick open shots because that's going to make a pretty effective offense. Yudoka Azubuki, too. That's going to make an effective offense if that happens. So it's a little bit of this weird tweener role, and Elijah Johnson you know, told me that was a tough role that he had to take on a few years back where he wanted... The year before, Tyshawn Taylor got him open shots. He could, he'd stand on the perimeter and make a bunch of threes. And then his senior year, he had to take a completely different role where he was running around 150 screens to try to get other people open and trying to, to you know get in the lane and kick it out. And so it's a different role, but it's still a leadership role. And so Devontae Graham's going to kind of have to just figure this out on the fly for Kansas coming up this next season. Yeah, I, I don't think it's any kind of thing you worry about. I, I think Devontae is kind of a natural leader type and just because of his personality i think people gravitate towards him yeah so i i think he's he's going to be just fine in that role i mean if anything it might have been kind of weird for frank just because frank doesn't have that that personality that that wants to to be in that hey i'm i'm the vocal leader type thing you know that, that, that's not him so i i think it's it's definitely a natural thing for for Devante. and in terms of him you know, adjusting his game. I, I think the Elijah point is a really good one in that they played similar roles and they could just spot up on the on the three point line quite a bit. And you know, where that secondary ball handler that makes sense in it. But yet, I think Devontae is a way way more natural point guard, and he's long been. I, I think he was even a better passer than than Frank Mason. So um, I think shifting over to to the main point guard role is isn't really going to be a huge adjustment for him because i think he's played that a lot in his life and he's a he's a really good passer and it's a natural fit for him so i i don't know i I wouldn't be as worried as maybe some are that you know obviously it's it's worrisome when you're losing the national player of the year but you have a guy in Devonte, even though he hasn't necessarily been that primary handler all the time i think he the the it's not going to be that much of an adjustment for him i good points on all those and I also will say this something I've noticed about Devontae watching him this summer the confidence he has with this three-point shot that he's developed over the last couple years and then also the freedom to shoot it which you know Bill Self admitted last year that's not something he always gave to his guys but he's given them a lot more freedom and so Devontae Graham does you know pull the trigger when he thinks he's open and it's usually a good shot because he makes a lot of them he makes a lot of threes off the dribble and he has made a lot of threes off the dribble in camp games so a lot of this might for me just be a lot of talk about about nothing because, you know, I'm saying, okay, who's going to get open shots for Devontae Graham? Well, Devontae Graham might get open shots for Devontae Graham because if you're able, again, overall, statistically, it's tougher to shoot off the dribble than it is in spot situations. We know that. And so it would be helpful if Devontae had someone who could drive inside and kick it out to him for open threes. But that doesn't mean that, that Devontae Graham can't be a 36-37% three-point shooter when he comes off the dribble and shoots threes anyway, and that can still be very effective for KU. So uh, he still might be able to get his points along with his assists and still free up others for open shots while while still making shots on his own. It just might take some work from him himself to, to get himself open off of ball screens, those sorts of actions. But Again, he's proven that he can make open shots, and then with the freedom he has that, that the coaching staff has given him over the last couple of years, he might be able to continue that into next year uh, without any problems just because he has been able to, to take and make those open three-pointers he's been able to see. Uh, a couple more quickly from Ryan Schwartz at the Jayhawk 627. He says, why is it that other Blue, Buds have, Blue Bloods have recruiting years where they get multiple five-star guys, and KU usually only gets one to two with others mixed in? And so... 
Um, I don't know if this is a specific reference to this year, but I think we've talked about this, CJ. This year seems to be a lot different when it comes to recruiting because the five-star kids that KU got in recruiting this time were transfers. And so uh, it makes sense with this particular roster because if everyone wants to go back to last week's episode, there could be five or six guys drafted for KU next year. There could be three or four early entry guys. It's really unknown what what the 2018-2019 roster is. So knowing that, it's pretty smart, actually, to get the Lawson brothers and Charlie Moore into the program now, know what you have coming back, and know that you have those pieces coming in that are very talented, regardless of what happens, because otherwise you're kind of left, okay, this guy went pro, this guy went pro, this guy went pro. You're in April and and May trying to scramble and recruiting and pull top-ranked guys. Instead of having that headache, you have these guys secure for next year. Again, I think for this year at least, it seems like a pretty smart move for Bill Self. Yeah, you know, this question – Basically, there's there's been two programs that have just gotten a ton of five stars and been in one two in recruiting rankings every year, and it's Duke and Kentucky. Yeah, and I don't know that it's necessarily fair to like criticize Kansas <laughs> because they've had one they've had more experienced rosters, so it's it's a little harder to like each year Duke and Kentucky have had more spots to fill, so there's more playing time available, so it's a little easier sales job one. To, for those guys to those two programs because of their coaches they're um oh how do i want to put this like you know coach k is, the, is is a legend he's a very very famous coach that the young guys you know it gets their attention right away and obviously he's, he's Bill's, in, involved in usa basketball too Let's and he's not, involved in usa yeah. basketball and then coach cal has all the one and done success you know it's an nba factory what do these kids want they want to get to the nba but Okay, now look at Kansas. Kansas obviously holds its own in recruiting. I'd say if you look at recruiting over like a 10-year period, yeah, probably Coach K and Cal have done the best, but right after that is like Bill, Bill Self and Sean Miller. So he's he's right there. The last two years they've been had really experienced rosters, so they're they're you know they've they've only needed a couple kids in recruiting each year. But you go back, let's go back three years ago. Okay, they get Cliff Alexander, five star, five star. Kelly, Kelly Oubre, five-star, star. and they also get Svi, who I'm sure recruiting out, you know, people would have considered a five-star just because of how he was um, perceived as a, as a prospect overseas. So there's three five-stars. Yes. The year before that, they get Wiggins. Five-star. They <laughs> Six-star, basically. They get, they get Selden. And then, so those, that's three five stars. I think Brandon Green was a four star. I think Connor Frankamp, and I'm just going off the top of my head guessing. I think Connor Frankamp was a four star, right? Should have been, yeah. And then, and then Frank Mason was probably like a three star, but turns into National Player of the Year. So, uh, you know, and then, and then the year before that, Perry Ellis was that, is that Perry Ellis's freshman year? Yeah, per- Perry Ellis is a five star. That's a really, really experienced roster, and you didn't really have. And, and then Ben Mclemore is like a five star who had a red shirt. So there's two five star freshmen there. So I think this is a little bit recent, like immediate recent history biased question <laughs> because Self had a pretty good run there of of getting some some five star guys, and then they've just had experienced rosters the last two years, and now he's kind of shifted, like you said, to okay, this coming season. They're going to have a newcomer who's. They're going to have two newcomers who's a five who are five stars, in Malik Newman and then Billy Preston, and then next year they're going to have um, Lawson who was a five star recruit coming into 
coming out of high school and is going to be better than most one and done freshmen, if not all. And then you have Charlie Moore, who wasn't a five star, but played almost to a five star level last year. And, um, you know, we, we still don't know what he's going to get in recruiting. I'm sure he's he's going to land a top 10 kid or, or, or close to it next year. So I, I'm not sure this question's really fair just because there's been two guys who have, have dominated in Coach K and Cal, but it necessarily hasn't turned into um, the team success that, that Self has had because, you know, KU's there, right there with those teams every year, if not better. I'm ready to make a horrible analogy, CJ. Are you ready for it? It's almost. Yeah, I'm ready. I, I, I rambled there for a long time. No, so, no, no, uh, no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I was just thinking about this. You know, in the last few years, so last year, KU was the number two overall seed in the tournament. Is that right? I think it, I think that's right. Number two or number three. And then the year before, KU was the number one overall seed in the tournament. And before mm-hmm. that, there were a couple of two seeds, and then a one seed, and then a two seed. It's almost to me like, you know, you're talking about Calipari and Coach K. They get the best potatoes. But... Bill Self is getting the one-notch down potatoes and making the best potato soup. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you can, yeah. com- you can complain about, hey, he d- you know, Bill Self is not getting the best potatoes in the world for his potato soup. But at the end product and what really matters, which is results on the court, and, again, I know we can talk about postseason, yada, 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 the crapshoot that it is, all that stuff. But when you're looking at final results – you know, n- nobody can really stand with Kansas when it comes to, hey, heading into the tournament, what did they do over the course of the regular season? And so, yeah, m- maybe the five-star thing isn't as high. Maybe and maybe it's an unfair question to begin with because, like you said, you just listed off a bunch of five-stars that have gotten to Kansas. But, uh, you know, recruiting, it kind of sometimes gets this way, I think, just a little bit warped where it's like, well, what are your five-star numbers? What are your team ranking numbers? What are your, and this and that. And it's like that's just part of the ingredients to what should be – you know, a bigger picture formula, what you're going for. And so, yeah, again, with, with Bill Self and what he's done, I mean, the recruiting, however you want to say it is, I mean, they've recruited at a high, very high level. Nobody has had more number one overall recruits uh, over the past 10 years than Kansas has, if you look at uh, Wiggins, Selby, and Josh Jackson, those sorts of things. So it kind of depends on your perspective, too. But uh, whatever has happened, it has worked for Bill Self in this instance because uh, the results speak for themselves. So even if even if the stock that he gets is not quite as as five-star quality as as the Duke and the uh, the Kentuckys are that the, the product every single year has been a really good product and so he's taken that and made it and that's part of coaching as well so uh, I think that kind of that kind of goes into to what's happened with Kansas in the last few years and look at the national championship game last year you had North Carolina ends up winning it who hasn't recruited that well they, they had one recruiting class a few years ago um, the Justin Jackson class Theo Pinson and then Joel Berry. Um, that was a really, really good class. But other than that, Roy hasn't had, as far as stars, you know, five stars, he hasn't recruited that well these, these past few years, but yet he still wins a national title. And yep. then on the other side, you have Gonzaga doing kind of similar to what Bill Self is doing transfer now you. Yep. Through, through, through transfers and also recruiting overseas. And, you know, they, the, the one five star they had, I think, was. Um, Nigel Williams Goss, who obviously started somewhere else. So, um, you know, there's there's different ways to to skin the cat. And Self has, I think, figured out that the transfer market is is a really good place to go. And um, you know, when you can get a one and done like talent that's a little older, <laughs> and that he's kind of shooting for in, in a Dedrick Lawson and and maybe. Um, 
Malik Newman's another guy. A lot of people thought he was a one done. He was a five star. He was a top ten kid. You know, he could only be at Kansas for for one year. But you're getting those kids older who are who are that kind of talent. So I think it's a really really smart way of going about things. And it might not get fans quite as excited just because it's it's not the the new thing that nobody's seen. You know, that has the the top five rating. Um, coming in so so from a fan's perspective maybe you don't get as excited but you should because those guys are really really high level talents and they're older so it's almost even better yeah the way i've always looked at it is that there's six months of regular season and six months of off season so if you get five-star recruits you're basically winning half the year and so that's kind of why these off-season discussions come up is because yeah i mean fans there's no games to talk about there's no results or success to talk about and so uh, everybody gets wrapped up recruiting rankings and i mean you know, deservedly so. That's that's part of the game as well. But again, it, it's kind of about the end result. And KU has had pretty good end results with whatever recruits they've been able to bring in, whether they're transfers, five stars, four stars, or even guys like Frank Mason, who went on to become National Player of the Year. Last one from Joe at Dope is Joe E on Twitter. Besides depth, what's KU's biggest obstacle to overcome this season? I like this question. Besides depth, what's KU's biggest obstacle to overcome this season? CJ. Besides depth, uh, I think it is man. It's 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 a tough question. Where where would you go? I would I would say probably inside scoring and how you get the ball in there, how and what kind of success you have inside. Because I think it's it's going to be a new role for whoever. You know, obviously Udoka had a nice freshman season, was starting to, to really come on, but he hasn't been a, like inside go-to guy yet. So will he be able to carry a, a, a big portion of this, the scoring load for as, as far as inside goes? Will Billy Preston be able to come in and play with his back to the basket when he's kind of wanted to be a stretch four type in the past? So I think what kind of production you get from that inside, I don't know if that's an obstacle necessarily, but that's probably my biggest question mark coming in is, is how that's going to look. What, what would you say, Jesse? Yeah, we're almost on the exact same wavelength. You know, we talked so much last year about this being the worst adjusted defensive efficiency team that Bill Self has had in his era, uh, you know, at Kansas. KU finished fifth in offense and 24th in defense, and I think those numbers are flipping this year. You know, I think with Udoka in there, his shot-locking ability, one of the best things you can do as a defense and the most, the thing you can control the most is two-point defense. I think KU could take a huge jump in there with Udoka if he stays healthy, is able to block some shots, be that rim protector, and kind of give them that withy-like presence that they've had previously. Now, he'll have to avoid fouls, but KU really hasn't had any of those guys in there the last couple years that were able to do that. Once Hunter Mickelson went to the bench, you know, Landon Lucas, a very sound defender, but didn't give them that shot-blocking presence. With that shot-blocking presence, I think KU's defense can take quite a few steps up, but I agree with you. If KU goes back to the three-out, two-in look, you're depending a lot on Udoka Azubuki, not only creating for himself, but for creating for others. And he struggled a little bit with turnovers his freshman year. He struggled with passing out of double teams. And then how mm-hmm. does that all fit on the backside? Because as we've talked about, KU has so many outside shooters. KU has so many guys who can hit the three. How are you going to get them open shots? And it's not as easy, going to be as easy for KU to get transition opportunities. We talked over and over again last year about how the four guys could bring it up the floor, and then you usually had a five-man, sometimes like Carlton Bragg, who could run the floor as well. It opened up so many things in transition. KU could play so fast, get easy buckets before the other team was set. It's a lot tougher when you don't have Josh Jackson as a four-man or Frank Mason as a point guard to get that done. So I really think the offense is going to take, if not a a 
a small, maybe even a medium to, to large step backwards next year. Now, again, for Kansas standards, I don't know what that means. Does that mean 20th? Does that mean 25th? I'm not sure, but all those pieces fitting together. How does Yudoka handle that role? Can Billy Preston you know, play the high-low, get some easy points inside off angles? Can all those guys pass the perimeter and get some open shots for Malik Newman, Sfima Kyluk, LeGerald Dix of the world? All those sorts of things. Does Devontae Graham open himself up for shots? Can KU still get some transition? I just think offensively, how does this all come together, and how much for small ball does KU have to play next year? All those are unanswered questions. All those, I think, are the biggest obstacle of next season. It's a a similar obstacle to last season, kind of trying to make the pieces fit offensively. KU was able to figure out last year. I think it remains to be seen this year because there are so many moving parts, depending on who's in there, who plays well, and who steps up into offensive roles uh, coming up in 2017-2018. And one thing you didn't mention, because of the – increase in size on the perimeter with you know Malik Newman being a little bit bigger as a two guard than, than you had in Devontae Graham and then just all the athletic wings they have there's a lot of switchability on uh, defensively and yes. you know you, you can you can do some fun thing I mean you look at like what makes the Warriors so awesome why are the why are the Celtics loading up on all these big wings like <laughs> it's because in today's basketball if, if you have switchable defenders who can defend across multiple positions it it makes defense a lot easier it makes rotations and recovering a lot easier and you know this this team has some um possibilities well, in, hey, in, in CJ, that. and even even going to a KU example we talked so much his senior year how Perry Ellis helped KU's defense because yeah, early on sure. he, he could not switch onto you know one through four positions and later what happened with Kansas is when they when they got the ball screen they would just switch Perry Ellis on him and the guard couldn't get by him you heard Bruce Weber say that you know our guard couldn't get by Perry Ellis and like what do you do against a defense like that when they can just switch up top so like you said the NBA game's gone there and we've seen uh, that year for Kansas, they were third in def- adjusted defensive efficiency. So Perry was I, a big part of that. Yeah, Perry was a big sure. part of that. So I absolutely agree with you that the switchability of this team could lend to better defensive effort as well. It's just, to me, offense is the big question. Uh, who is going to emerge? Who is going to settle into roles quickly? And, and how is the inside-outside balance going to help out? Because, again, yeah. honestly, I think a big reason for KU's jump forward last year offensively, I think the numbers would bear this out, is they shot more threes. And they made a bunch of threes. And so will they be able to, to – sh- And they sh- had so many playmakers on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Frank Mason, Josh Jackson doing that. I mean, yeah. that's it's, – it's just a different challenge this year to be able to get threes and then get out in transition, which, again, this team does not have as many natural transition players as a year ago. So how are all those pieces going to fit? I, I think no matter how they fit, KU's taking the step back offensively. It's just how far is that step back and how much can be made up by having a better defense than it did last season. All right, CJ, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Anything else you want to uh, pass on to me? Any toothpaste you want to uh, suggest to me so that uh, <laughs> I can avoid the horribleness of the last week? I don't know. I'm, I'm questioning uh, Emporia Dennis for, for how they, uh, they they brought you up because, mm. uh, man, thir- what are you, 33? 33. Already losing a tooth. That's, I, the, the, that's some serious stuff. The crazy thing, I don't know if you, if you have this or if our listeners do too, but that's like one of my most frequent dreams too is losing teeth. I don't know if you ever have that. It's it's one of those like common <laughs> dreams where you are insecure about something. So I'll look it up later. But yeah, it is. It does make you feel a little bit older when uh, when you figure out that your body is starting to let you down when. You know, again, back 18, 19, 20. Enjoy those days, young kids. Um, yeah, your body, them. your body definitely did not let you down and say, "Hey, this 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 tooth in the back needs to go." But, oh, that's 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 bad. All right, Jesse. Well, I'm, I uh, I you know 
hopefully and so you got you're gonna get a replacement tooth at some point you're gonna get a fake one in there yeah hopefully uh at least it's in the back my, my poor son Braden, he lost a, a tooth um chipped it last year took a took a bad hop right off the tooth and it's right the the front top front tooth and uh man the, the replacement it just kind of is a different color and it, it doesn't look great so at least you have that replacement back yep. in the back where nobody's really going to notice yep and well chicks dig that too so he should he should be able to take advantage of that but yeah yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll uh he, he he like i said you should i i wish he could get the the one where you could take it out just because i mean that, i feel like that would be fun when you're when you're older but yeah ho- hopefully the chicks dig the multi-colored tooth I, i'm not <laughs> sure <with> that one <laughs> cole aldrich he had fun digging his in and out so uh yeah, yeah that, that would be definitely uh one of those fun things you could do but yeah well we'll end this on a very positive note um but glad to talk some ku basketball in the off season and uh, just before we let everybody go, very excited about our guests next week. Uh, we'll have kind of a non-KU basketball situation, but something that we've talked about on this program before. So uh, happy to have a guest next week and should be a, a fun episode. So be sure to check out that. Be ready for, for Jesse to nerd out. Be, be, be ready. I, I'm always, <laughs> always ready to nerd out. Well, for CJ, this is Jesse. Thanks for checking out the Sports BKC podcast. Be sure to tune in for another episode next week.